Thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Good evening. Hope you guys are well tonight, man. What a joy it is to come back here and share. Oh, stop. You're being too nice. <laughs> you know, uh, Calvary Aurora really is, uh, we have deep connections and deep roots with this church. In fact, last night, we're having dinner with our family, uh, my wife and I and our kids, and we were talking about how long ago we moved to Colorado, and yesterday marked 14 years ago that we drove out here to serve this church. We moved from uh, Calvary Chapel Downey. We were there for many, many years, my wife and I. My father-in-law was a pastor there. And God called us to help this new, newer church that was going for a handful of years. It had about three to 400 adults at the time to come and help pastor at it and, and the fellowship there. So, but yeah, uh, Pastor Jason and I, we go way back from high school. My wife has known his wife since like elementary school. Pastor Aaron, I've known him since I was about 12 years old, and his mom was really nice to me. I was a bad kid in school, and she would pray for me. And, and again, we even know Pastor Ed and Marie from back in California as well. So again, when we say there's deep connections, there are. And about four and a half years ago, uh, we felt the call and the burden to go and plant a church in Denver, and we've been there for four and a half years, and God's been so faithful and so good to us. So pray for Denver, pray for our church, amen. And if there's any fruit that comes out of Denver Calvary, it is to your account because we, we were sent, we've been prayed for, and it's been very good. Amen? Amen? All right, enough about me. Let's talk about Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11 this evening. We're going to be looking at verse 33 all the way to verse 54. And the title of the message is Getting Your Report Card. Getting Your Report Card. And so as you turn there, let me pray and ask God to bless the word. Father, may our time tonight, this evening, in your word be like a mirror to us. A mirror to our souls, revealing where we stand with you. Where you desire us to be. Lord, may your word cut to the soul of the heart. May it purify us. May it purify your church. And that you would continue that wonderful work that as you began in us, you will complete it until the day we meet you, Lord. Transforming us in the image of Christ. And so, Lord, do that work. Prune us. Grow us by your Holy Spirit. And bless now your word as we read it, as we study it. And we ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. And the church says, Amen. Amen. You know, as a student in grammar school and in junior high, I, this time of year that would roll around and it was always a love-hate relationship. I, you know, April came, May came, and, and as May came, man, it was a love-hate relationship. And why was that the case? Because, you know, kids love summer. We're ready to get out, work on our tan, right? We're ready to get out. There's freedom. But it was, it was a hate relationship because along with summer coming at the very end of the school year, what, what came out? Report cards, and, you know, me and school and report cards, we just didn't mix. I just didn't do, do very well. I always struggled, struggled in school. And, and it was a hard thing for me. And I was always jealous of those kids that, well, did well. In fact, how many of you did well in elementary school and junior high? You got good grades, A's and B's. Raise up your hand really high. Everybody look around. Those are the people I didn't like. Yeah. 
Because as, as they handed out the report cards back in the old school days, they would give you a report card and last day of school, you would look at that and you would go, <gasps> and then I would see the kids skipping and running. Mommy, daddy, look at my report card. And my parents, where's yours, son? I don't know. I think the bird took it from my backpack. Yeah. The purpose of report cards, though, has significant meaning. In fact, I looked at Denver Public Schools, and this is what they say about report cards. Report cards are intended to assess, evaluate, to report on a student's progress. Assessments are based on verbal teaching, on performance, on written tasks. They are designed to improve learning, to give assessment in order to measure what students already know but also to help students improve how much students have learned in a period of time. Well, in our text here in the Gospel of Luke, what we're going to find is that Jesus is going to give a spiritual report card. Unfortunately, it's not going to be very good. It's not going to be good. In fact, let me give a little bit of background. The ministry of Jesus has been growing. More people have been coming and following him. His disciples have grown and along with that, we know that the, he caught the eye of the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers, the, the rabbis, if you, were, if you will. And, and the problem was this. The religious leaders of the day had some serious spiritual issues that they would refuse to admit to every time Jesus met with them. They would refuse to hear what he had to say. You know, their problem and sometimes our problem is that we think that we're something that we're not. We think we're further along when we really we're just kind of straggling behind. And this is exactly where the spiritual leaders of Israel were. They weren't really who they thought they were. You ever heard the story of the goat who tried to be a lion? It's a true story. There was a goat who thought he was a lion. And so he believed that if he walked like a lion, he talked like a lion, well, then he could be a lion. So he practiced. He practiced walking majestically, swooshing his little tail around. He even worked on, on his little bleep, turning it into a roar to convince himself that if he walked and talked like a lion, he'd be a lion. So the goat one day said, you know, I need to go where lions go. Well, needless to say, end of story, end of goat. Yeah. And by the way, the story wasn't a true story. I was just lying. Yeah. Don't worry, I got a bunch more of those. And, you know, when I say pray for Denver Calvary, no, you know what I'm talking about. You know, pray for the pastor there. The religious leaders of the day thought they were spiritual, enlightened, holy, but they were greatly mistaken. Now, you would have to think if they were such students of the word of God, how can they be so far off? How could they not really see themselves for where they were? Well, I'll tell you one simple word hypocrisy. It was hypocrisy. The religious leaders of the day, they were guilty of the sin of hypocrisy. In the Greek, it's hypocrite. It means to play the role, to be an actor, one that wears a mask, one who purposely puts on a false appearance of virtue, piety, or religion. It's a person who acts in contradiction to their state of belief. And here in Luke 11, we see that Jesus addresses this very issues and begins to critique and criticize the religious leaders for this very thing. You know, I'll say this. I think most of us, if not all of us, we hate being corrected. We hate being critiqued. You know, someone comes and they begin to, to show disapproval for something that you've been doing and they, and they give you that information and, and you kind of get offended. You're taken back. 
We don't like to be shown when we're doing something wrong. We just don't. But let me ask you, who is allowed to critique you? Who is allowed in your life to correct you? You know, it's a challenging question to, to, you know, to really answer. But pause and think, is your spouse? Can your spouse correct you when you're wrong? In some marriages, in some homes, that's not the case. What about your kids? Your kids, yeah, there you are freaking out. And your parents, your son or your daughter, there's four or five years old, daddy, that's not good, that's bad. And then what are you going to do then? What about your family, your friends? Are they allowed to correct you? How about Jesus? Is he allowed to critique you? Is he allowed to cor- correct you? Is there room in your life for the Lord himself to speak truth into it and there be change? to correct you, convict you, speak to you. And just as Jesus speaks into the lives of the religious leaders, he desires this evening to speak into our lives, if we will let him, if we will hear what the Spirit has to say. Amen? Amen. So how does Jesus deal with this? How does Jesus deal with the hypocrisy of the religious leaders? Well, Jesus is going to reveal to the religious leaders the areas that led them down this slippery slope of hypocrisy. In fact, there's five things. And if you're taking notes, which I encourage our church to do, and I encourage you to do, to take some notes, here are five things for you. Number one, Jesus is going to teach us the hypocrisy of a wrong perspective, a wrong perspective. Secondly, Jesus is going to deal with the hypocrisy of tradition, tradition. Thirdly, he's going to deal with the hypocrisy of outward action. Fourthly, he's going to deal with the hypocrisy of inward intention. And lastly, fifthly, he's going to deal with the consequences of hypocrisy. So first, let's look at our text here as we see that Jesus deal with the hypocrisy of wrong perspective. Starting there in verse 33, read with me. It says, no one who has lit a lamp puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good... Your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Jesus begins by giving some examples here for us to consider and think about. And he uses two little illustrations. He uses the eye and he uses the light. You know, the eye, if you will, is what we see with. It's how we see what's in front of us. It's how you and I can focus and hone in. It's also the way in which things enter our minds and our hearts and our lives, our eyes. It allows you to have perspective on things, clarity and understanding the eye. You know, hypocrisy always has a misguided view, always, where things will be skewed or twisted, where things will be unclear. And Jesus tells us how to correct that there in verse 35. Jesus speaking to the crowds and to the people and the religious leaders, he says, therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. Now, when Jesus says take heed to something, 
We ought to take heed to it. And what is it that we need to take heed to is those things that we are allowing to enter into our lives and take roots. That's, who, that's what he would have us to take care of. Now, when he speaks about the light, what's that referring to? Well, I believe it's referring to the word of God. The word of God. You know, throughout scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there's countless illustrations of God's word being revealed as light. Remember what David said, Psalm 119, 105. You know it. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Yeah, we know that. David knew that even at a young age as he wrote that psalm that God's word is a light to him. It's a guide for him. It's direction for him. What else did David say about the word? Oh, how does a young man keep his way clean? By taking heed according to your word. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's what David said. Even Jesus, in his ministry throughout his time, he often spoke about his ministry being the light. John 8, 12, Jesus said this. He said, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Man, you know, it's so important for us to maintain a right perspective before the Lord in life. That's key because it's easy. It's easy if we drift away from the word of God that our perspective, our view of things can change. We get off course. And I'll say this, if you get off course by one degree, you're going to end up in a world of hurt. Now, if you're flying to Japan for some fresh sushi and your pilot is off by one degree, you know what? You're going you're gonna to hear the pilot say, and now we've landed here in North Korea where you can come in and you won't get out, right? One degree, will, will, it'll take you in the wrong direction. You guys remember Lot, Genesis 13? There we see Lot and Abraham. They're growing and, and God's blessing and God's anointing is on Abraham and there his nephew, his stuff is growing as well. And because of all the livestock and animals, the herdsmen began to have issues with one another, fighting with one another. So what does Abraham tell Lot? Hey, Lot, you know, if you go north, I'll go south. If you go east, I'll go west. And you just pick where you need to go, but I don't think it's good that we fight. And there we read, and Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the plains of the Jordan there that it looked like, like the Garden of Eden. And there at the distance, what lied behind that? A wicked dark city the city of Sodom, the city of Gomorrah. Later on, you read in the text, and, 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 and Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom, towards Gomorrah. And further down in the text, as you keep reading, where does he end up? Sodom and Gomorrah, living with them, acting like them. Perspective changed. Yeah. May God teach us to maintain right perspective before the Lord. Even the whole nation of Israel fell into that as they continued to disregard the prophets that God was sending them to speak into their lives, they would jail them or they would kill the prophets. And remember what happened. Isaiah writes, Isaiah 5.20, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Is there any countries that you can think nowadays that's calling the light darkness and the darkness now light? Let's look around at our culture today. So how does one maintain a right perspective by, of the Lord, uh, or a right perspective in life? I'll say this. It's always bringing it back to the word of God. Always. You bring your feelings back to the word of God. 
You bring your emotions back to the word of God. You bring your opinions, your desires, your dreams, your prayers, your struggles back to the word of God. And from there, the Lord will help you to maintain right perspective of yourself and the things around you. Hypocrisy will always have a wrong skewed perspective. Secondly, we see that Jesus is going to deal with the hypocrisy of their tradition. Look at verse 37 with me. And as Jesus spoke, a certain Pharisee asked Jesus, hey, come dine with him. And so he went in, he sat to eat. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that Jesus had not first washed before dinner. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. You know, tradition is simply a set of beliefs and practices that are passed along. We have tradition. You know, the order of service that we have, we have here at, at Calvary Royal, there's tradition behind that. We'll have a few songs. We might have a psalm reading on Sunday morning. Then we have a teaching. We have a closing song, the way that we do communion. There's a lot of things that are are by way of tradition where we're, we're taught these things and we follow them. And let me just make it clear. There's nothing sinful in and of itself when it comes to tradition. However, if you already have a wrong perspective of the word of God or wrong outward perspective, then surely this will follow. So what do we see happen here? Well, we read there in verse 47 that a Pharisee asked Jesus over for dinner. Hey, come on over for dinner. We want to have a meal with you. Now, what I love about the gospel, the gospels when you read them, is that Jesus never passed up a good meal. He just never did. He would always, anytime he was invited, he never said no. He's like, yeah, free food, let's go. You know, and he would meet and he would get together and they would share in a meal. And I, and I think Jesus understood the importance of this. But let me just say, Jesus wasn't so much about the food as he was about the opportunity that it brought. The meal just brought the opportunity for him to spend time with them, to have an intimate moment. But here comes the problem. Verse 38, and when the Pharisees saw Jesus, when they saw him, they saw what he did, that they marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. They invite him over for dinner. Jesus accepts. He comes on over. He sits down and he begins to rip the pita bread or whatever the case might be. And they begin to eat. And the Pharisees within their minds and their hearts began to mock Jesus. Well, what was the issue? Was that Jesus didn't wash his hands before he ate. See, what we see here is that Jesus didn't perform the ceremonial hand washing prescribed in the law. That's what the issue was. That's why the Pharisees and those around them, they were so shocked and they marveled. The ceremonial washing that's in the law? Let me ask, where is that found in the Bible? In the Torah? Nowhere. It's not found anywhere. Well, if it's not found in the the word of God, in the Bible, then where is it found? I'll tell you. It's found in the Mishnah. The Mishnah. What's the Mishnah? The Mishnah was the authoritative material that was based on oral traditions on how the law was supposed to be followed. If you will, it was simply a commentary to the law of God. And the issues that the religious leaders had when Jesus was coming over for dinner, 
was that Jesus didn't follow the ceremonial law. It wasn't an issue of cleanliness, but rather just the ceremonial law. And the law required that you wash your hand in a certain way. Which way? Well, let me share this with you. So according to the ceremonial law, you had to have a large stone vessel. Stone vessel. Okay? And it only served this one purpose of loan, and it was the purpose of hand washing. You had to use at least a quarter of a log of water, and the water had to first be poured over the hands, beginning at the fingertips, running down to the wrists. That's the first requirement. And secondly, the palm of each hand was to be uh, clenched, and it was to be put into the hand of the other and rubbed. And you had to do the same for the other hand. Lastly, once again, you had to get another scoop of water and pour it over, beginning at the wrist, running down to the fingertips. Time to eat. Now, if you were a super Orthodox Jew, I mean, if you were hardcore, if you were, you know, a hardcore Orthodox, you would do this in between every part of the meal. So there you sit down, you have your appetizers. Time to eat. And then, oh, the salad's coming. Okay, hold on one second. Time to eat. And you would do that over and over again. And as you would do that, the people would marvel and they would look at you and they go, ooh, he's serious about the Lord. Look at that. Look at those, look at those fingertips. Look at that. They're clean. <sighs> to the Pharisee, to admit the slightest part of this tradition would be sin. It'd be wrong. How could Jesus truly be a prophet of God and miss this prescribed ceremonial law. You see, the Pharisees, when they saw Jesus not do what they thought he ought to do, they began to judge him. They began to condemn him for breaking the traditions and holding themselves to an elevated position because of what they did do and what Jesus did not do. You see, part of hypocrisy that Jesus here will deal with is, is the hypocrisy where you elevate yourself by what you do and you condemn others for what they don't do. I don't listen to non-Christian music. That's right. What's that on the radio? What, you listen to some Taylor Swift? <gasps> what would Pastor Ed say, right? Or, you know, I don't go to the movies, you know, because in the movies there's a lot of rated R stuff. I don't go do that. You go to the movies? Oh, brother, sister. Oh, oh, you know, I don't, I don't drink alcohol. No, no wine for these lips. You drink alcohol? Well, let's have a talk, right? All these really non-vital non areas. And yet what we do is we elevate ourselves by what we do and we begin to look down upon others who don't do. Now, what would Jesus say to them? And what would Jesus do? Now, one of the things I love about reading the Gospels is oftentimes you can read, go back and forth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you get a little bit more in depth. You get a little bit more of the context. And what we find in, in the other Gospels is as Jesus is having this interaction, Jesus knows their thoughts, the intents of their hearts. He knows. And what happens is Jesus is going to begin to really give it to them. In fact, he's going to give them six woes. Whoa. He's going to give it to them. And this brings us up to the third issue where Je what Jesus dealt with is that Jesus, thirdly, is going to deal with the hypocrisy of the outward action. Look back at verse 39 once again. But the Lord said to him, 
Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed, wickedness, foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside of the cup make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. See, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. The religious leaders, they were so focused on what was seen by men rather than what was seen by God. And because of that, Jesus looks at them and he says, you are foolish. Foolish ones. All of you, the lot. You're foolish in your action and you are foolish in your thinking. And why were they considered foolish? Because they only cared about how the cup looked. They solely focused on the external and they neglected that which was inward. They cared about how it looked. And let me just say that the Pharisees, they looked good. Oh, they looked really good. They were great on the outside. They were concerned with what they wore in their robes. They were concerned how they walked. They were concerned how people looked at them. They were concerned how they prayed. And if people heard, Father God, Father God. And at the moment, oh, he's pr- what a prayer. They were concerned with themselves and how they did things and who saw them. But let me ask, what does the Lord look at? What is God concerned with? What are the weightier things in, in, in God's heart, in God's mind? At Denver Calvary, we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel on Sunday mornings. It's been very good. We're towards the end of the book. And, but halfway through in chapter 15, we, we see King Saul fall into great sin after a series of acts of disobedience. And finally, after the, the, the legacy of, of the kingdom being carried through, his, his sons was taken. Now we see the kingdom was taken from King Saul and God was going to give it to another. And the only description that we have of who he was going to give it to was this, a man after God's own heart. That's all that Samuel knew. But now once God finally rejected King Saul, the Lord spoke to Samuel the prophet and said, rise up and go and anoint the new king. Go to Jesse's house. So he gets up. He sat over the situation with King Saul and he makes his way to Jesse's house. And he tells him, tell his sons to come out and line them up before you. So he tells Jesse and until he gathers all his sons and the first son walks in. And the dude was a stud. I mean, the guy walks in and he just, he has the shoulders. He has the walk. He's tall, dark, and handsome. Everything I'm not, right? Tall, he's dark. He has hair. He looks good. And the moment that he walks out, you know what Samuel does? In his mind, in his heart, he goes, oh, surely this is the man. Surely this is the one that God's going to make king. And that moment, the Lord goes, hello, listen to me. You know what he says to him? Listen, I want you to hear this. 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, that moment, do not look at his appearance, at his height, at his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the man, for man looks out the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. He looks at the heart. See, Jesus wasn't so much concerned with what they did externally, though he was concerned. More so, Jesus was concerned with the motive that lied behind it. 
The religious leaders of the day, they, they were good with everything they did on the outside. They, they looked good. In fact, you read there in verse 42 that they tithed everything. If there's one thing they were meticulous about was their giving and their tithing, which is great. They took it to the extreme. I mean, they would go to their gardens. They would go to their farms. They would, they would take their corn. They would take their mint. They would take all that stuff, and they would, they would separate it out, out to the Lord. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine for me, one for God. Nine for me, one for God. And they would do that to the T, even with their herbs and their spices. Here's the thing. There's a huge problem that the Lord had with them. And it was this. They missed out and they misunderstood the most important things. It's what Jesus described as the weightier matters. The things that really matter. Let me read this to you. Matthew 23, 23. It's the same context in which we're reading today, except there's one key thing that Matthew adds. It says this, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, but, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. That is so powerful. The weightier matters. How does Luke describe that for us? I want you to see that again, verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice. And look what your Bible says. The love of who? The love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. What were the weightier matters? What is it that God desires most? from you tonight. There's only really two of them. You know that? There's only two things God really desires from you. That's it. Two. The first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. That is the most important command that Jesus gives to you. But the second is just like that. It's to love your neighbor as what? Yourself. yourself. It's broken like this. Love God, love others. Those and the heart of God, the mind of God, are the two most important things you can ever do in life. Because the reality is if you love God and you love others, you, everything else will fall in line. The motive, the intent, the purpose, all of that will fall in line. To love God, to love others. You know, one of the things that, that Jesus says here, he says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You ever think about what motivates you? What's your motive in life? Pause and think and consider. What's your motive? What's your motive for work? Really think about that. Well, I can make money. Is that your motive? Well, provide for my family, okay? What's the motive for your marriage? Why are you married? What's your motive? What's your motive as a parent? Why are you dad? Why are you mom? Because they won't leave, right? That's, 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 I have older teenagers. That's kind of where they're at, right? I got an 18-year-old because I have to be, right? But what's your motive there? What's your motive with being at church tonight? What's your motive with, with why you serve where you serve? What's the motive? Because there are many things that can drive us in life. There's many things that could push us to do the things we do, that can stir us, that can guilt us, that can convict us. There are opinions, there, there's legalism, there's pessimism. But God's word, it makes it clear. The weightier matters. It needs to be a real and sincere love for God. See, the sins of the Pharisees 
was that they only cared about the outward actions and avoided the true conditions of the heart. That's what their issue was. Fourthly, we see Jesus deal with the hypocrisy of sinful intentions. The hypocrisy of sinful intentions. Look at verse 43 as we read all the way down to verse 44. He says, or 43 and 44. He says, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues, the best greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen. And the men who walk over them, they're not aware of them. This is heavy duty stuff. This is heavy duty. The one thing the religious leaders loved, the one thing they pursued and and they wanted, they wanted attention. They wanted eyes upon them. One, two, three, eyes on me. That's what they wanted. They loved the best seats at church. That's what they wanted. Now, they didn't call it church. It was the synagogue. It's so funny. In chapter 14 of the, of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus sees this happen right in front of him. He's sitting down. Again, another, kind of another meal. And he see that he's seeing them rustle and tussle for the best seats. Well, I'm going to sit next to him. No. Hey, Joe, move on over, man. It's my turn. No. And they're literally fighting for the best seats. You know, my seat, when I used to come to church, he was right over here. Gary, you're in my seat, brother. I need to just take a step over, okay? Uh, That's where we used to sit. And some people, they claim their spot. I want that seat. That's my seat. The religious leaders, they love that. But they also love the best, the greetings that they would receive. Oh, Rabbi, thank you. Mr. Pharisee, yes. Mr. Lawyer, scribe, teacher. They love the titles that would esteem them and lift up their pride. And they also love the praise of men. The praise of men. You remember when Jesus was in the temple and they were sitting and they were watching people give unto the Lord? And they watched a a wealthy person come on in, a wealthy person, a religious leader, and he comes in with all their change and kind of shaking it around. I got some cash, man. Throws in the offering box and gave plenty. And then the little old widow dropped in her might. And Jesus saw what? The intentions of the hearts. That's what he saw. Hmm. These individuals cared more for their reputation than they did for their character. I want to repeat that because it's important for you to hear it. These individuals cared more for reputation than their character. John Wooden was known as the Wizard of Westwood. He coached the UCLA, UCLA Bruins, a basketball team, for 12 years. Now, don't tell Pastor Ed I mentioned the UCLA Bruins at the pulpit, okay? Because he's a big SUSC fan. Okay, so shh, our little secret, right? But listen to this. He coached the UCLA Bruins team for 12 years. In those 12 years, he won 10 NCAA championships. Seven of those he won consecutively, which was an unprecedented feat. Now, this man, John Wooden, was known to have given some very profound truth on character. He said this, Your reputation is who people think you are, but your character is who you really are. You know your character because you know you. So does the Lord. The Pharisees, they received their reward when they received the best seats and the praise of men when they received the the titles and positions. The praise of man was their reward. But listen, they missed the rewards that God had to give them. They missed God's blessing for man's blessing. 
See, God doesn't reward reputation. God rewards character. That's what God's concerned about for you and I tonight. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 3 and 4, I love this. He says, when you do your charitable deeds, do not, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. You know, the principle that Jesus was, was wanting to teach is you do things in humility before the Lord, and you do it as unto the Lord. And as you do it unto the Lord, it's the Lord who will bless your life. That's why we do what we do. That's why when we give, that's why we have the, the tithe boxes in the back. You just give unto the Lord. That's why when you serve and you're pushing a broom, it doesn't matter who acknowledges you or, or, or pats you on the back because you're doing it under the Lord. You know, for all the years that I served here, when we moved into the second part of the building, you know, at, on Sunday mornings, all the pastors get here very early. We get here uh, around 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And you know what we do at 7 a.m.? And I can say this because I'm not, I'm not a pastor at this church anymore. So I'm going to tell you what we do. It's a little secret. We clean this church. They clean this church. And every Sunday, for I don't know how many years, the stairs right over on this side, if you walked in on a Sunday and they were clean, this guy, yeah. You would have never known that till today. I just got my reward. Oh, man. Yeah, but listen, as, you're, as I was mopping those stairs, I wasn't doing it to receive a pat on the back. I was doing it to serve the people, love the people, prepare the building for the people. I think when they come in, that, that won't be a stumbling block. The floors will be clean. The windows, they, they would be washed. The bathrooms, they'd be clean. You walk in, it smells good in the restroom. Oh, that's great. This church is pretty clean. But the motive and the intent, oh, it's for the Lord. It's unto him. It's for his glory. The reward is from the Lord, between him and us. The religious leaders are being rebuked by Jesus because their intention and their motives were wrong. Rather than being seen by God, they want it to be seen by men. Heavy duty. Fifthly and lastly, we see that Jesus deals with the consequence. The consequence of living in hypocrisy. Now, this will be a big chunk. We're going to read verse 44 all the way down to verse 52. We read here, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them, they're not aware of them. Then one of the lawyers, he answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us. Now, I love this. I always laugh. I have that underlined in my Bible. Teacher, you're telling this to us? And Jesus is like, don't even get me started. Because look what he says, verse 46. Woe to you also. Woe to you, you lawyers. For you load men with burdens, hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers. For they indeed killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, it's interesting, from A to Z, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who entered in, you hindered. 
Now, out of this whole section, we're not going to unpackage that, that whole section because there's a lot there, but there's really two key things that I wanted to point out. It's verse 44 and verse 52. What Jesus is telling them is, guys, you, you lawyers, you religious leaders, you guys, he described them like graves. You're dead. You think you're holy. You think you're, you're, you're enlightened. You think you're walking before God, but you're dead. You're dead. You see, the Jews have great respect for the dead. And the last thing they would ever want to do is defile themselves by walking over a grave. Even to this day, when they have archaeological digs there in Israel and they come across a body or, or a tomb, they make sure a rabbi is present, that everything stays clean and everything stays uh, kosher. Now, it's interesting because the Muslims know this. And the Muslims know that, and they purposely built a cemetery there at the East Gate. So if you ever get to go to Jerusalem, and there you are standing on the Mount of Olives, you can walk down through the Kadron Valley, and as you see the East Gate, there's a large Muslim uh, 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 cemetery that they built there. And you know why did they, built, they, they built that there? Because they know that according to Bible prophecy, the Messiah is going to walk down on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to walk up and enter into the east gate. But listen, Jesus can just float. He won't touch anything. He'll stay clean. They, they don't get it. They don't get it. Jesus says, you are like graves that people will walk over. In other words, he says this. You are defiling and you are corrupting those that come into contact with you. Wow. You're defiling those around you. Woe to you lawyers, he says in verse 52. For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You've taken away. You did not enter in yourself, and those who were entering in, you hindered. That's heavy duty. See, the problem with hypocrisy is that it not only corrupts you, but it corrupts those around you. And here are the men. These are supposed to be the leaders the spiritual influences to the nation of Israel that Jesus is speaking to. Rather than helping people towards the Lord, they were preventing people from coming on in. And here they thought they were all that. So how, how do they respond to this? Well, I'm gonna say this. I didn't really mention this, but the nature of this conversation, it wasn't super friendly, okay? The nature of this conversation was a rebuke. In fact, when you hear Jesus speak woe and woe and woe, what Jesus is really identifying to them is as an Old Testament prophet speaking to the people. Woe, woe, woe. How do they respond? Verse 53. And he said to them these things, he said to them, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently. They began to cross-examine him about many things. They were lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something that he might say that they might accuse him of. They didn't hear one word that Jesus had to say. Why? Because they were stuck in their hypocrisy. Jesus gave them a report card. And I'll say this, it wasn't a passing grade. They were failing. They were failing. And what happens when you fail a class? You got to take it over. You got to go back and you got to learn the lesson again. And you might say, well, Pastor Louis, you know, I'm not a lawyer. And when we talk about the lawyer, we're not a lawyer of the word of God. I'm not a rabbi. I'm not a, a, a scribe or a Pharisee. What's this have to do with me? Well, I'll tell you. God desires you to be concerned with the inward parts, your heart, your mind, 
your life, the condition of your heart, the intents of your mind, the motive and motivation in which you carry your walk with the Lord. He cares about that. And he wants you to be care. He wants you to care about that as well. The attitudes that we carry. See, God is more concerned with the weightier matters. And he desires you to be concerned about the weightier matters. You know, personal convictions are important because they're personal. I have a lot of personal convictions. I remember when I first got saved. I was 16 years old. I was raised in a Christian home. I went to Calvary Chapel since like 1982. I was raised in a Christian school. I didn't really give my heart to the Lord until I was 16. And when I did, I was all in. I remember there was an early season in my life where God spoke to me. He says, Louis, you need to get rid of a lot of stuff in your life. And one of them was secular music. I listened to so much of it and God said, get rid of it. And so that was a personal conviction I had. I got rid of that thing along with many other things that were in my life. Theology is important. You know that? What we believe and why we believe it. But it's not the most absolute important thing to God. You know, you might believe, I believe that we're going to be raptured up. There's a brother or sister might be sitting next to you that maybe doesn't hold that theological position. It's not going to matter when we're in heaven. Would well, you be telling, I told you so, right? That's what we'll be doing. I told you so for eternity. <laughs> yes, theology is important. Once saved, always saved. Well, I'm an Arminianist. I'm, Cal- I'm a Calvinist. I'm a Calvinist. I'm a, it, you know what? You know what the, the, Jesus is concerned with most? A love for God and a love for people. A love for God and a love for others. The weightier matters. Justice, mercy, faith. Jesus said those things are the weightier matters. Those are the things we need to be passionate about. What's this have to do with me? Well, God desires true humility and repentance. Jesus critiqued, Jesus convicted, Jesus spoke, and as he did, they refused to listen. There's a lesson there, that God desires true humility in your life. If you are a disciple of Christ, you must remain teachable. You must remain humble. You must be be receptive and correctable. That's what he desires from you. The religious leaders, they were simply unwilling to hear Jesus, what he had to say. How about you tonight? What's the Lord speaking in your life? You know, we might have some perspectives that are off. We might be going through the motions but lack true authenticity. We might lack the right motive or the right ambition. We might even be resisting the very thing that the Lord has been trying to teach us and to grab a hold and to get our attention with. And tonight, maybe the Lord's trying to get your attention. The Lord wants you to, to hear his voice and to respond. Hmm, it's good stuff. How does that happen? How do we, how do we know where we're at with the Lord? How do we know that he's speaking into our lives? Well, I like what David had to say in Psalm 139. This is a great prayer. It's a very simple but very powerful prayer. David says in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, he says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's where it begins. It's a cry out to God, Lord, Lord, just search me. Lord, reveal to me. Reveal my heart. Lord, reveal my thoughts, my intention, my motive. And God, if there's any sin in me, if there's any wickedness, reveal it to me. And Lord, I will follow it from now until eternity. I will walk in obedience. I will walk forward and I won't look back. 
And that's what God desires from us tonight, that we would hear his voice, that we would learn the lesson from the religious leaders, from the Pharisees, the very thing that he said to them, it applies to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray this evening that our hearts would be exposed, our motive revealed, our spiritual condition seen. Lord, we know you see it all too well because nothing is ever hidden from you. God, I pray that you show us those areas that you desire to remove, those areas that you desire to add and change and transform. And as you speak, Lord, we will listen. And as you command, we will obey. And right now as we're praying, as God's word has gone forth, maybe you've been invited, maybe you just stumbled in, maybe you're here tonight and God's been speaking to you. He's been convicting you of sin and he's drawing in and he desires to have a personal and true and real relationship with you. And you sense that, you know that. And yet you have held back. Maybe you've even resisted. But God's word has been coming to your heart and coming to your life. You know, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you could be saved. You could be forgiven. You just need to cry out to the Lord. And maybe for others, there's areas tonight where it's clear as day that God's speaking to you. The motive in which you have hasn't been right. The attitudes of heart that you've been carrying has been wrong. And God has been speaking to you and he's trying to draw you in into deeper and more intimate relationship. Father, I just pray for every one of us. I pray for our ears and our minds right now that we would truly hear what the Spirit would have to say to us. Lord, maybe it's coming into a brand new relationship with you. Maybe it's coming back with greater devotion and fervor than ever before. But I pray that as we worship, as we sing, as we close tonight, that we would respond to you. That we wouldn't leave this place without responding to your Holy Spirit. Knowing that, that again, you care more about our character than our reputation. You care about, more about the motive and intent of our heart than anything else. And you see that right now. And as we worship and as we sing, as we close in this last song, I would challenge you to respond to the Holy Spirit. And up here in the front, there's going to be pastors and leaders and, and a, a prayer team that wants to pray with you and wants to encourage you in the Lord. Before you leave, stop and receive. Before you go, stop and receive all that God has for you. Because don't do what the religious leaders do. They heard what he had to say and they fought back against it. God desires our hearts soft. And if you need prayer, I'm more than happy to stay and pray with you and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Amen? We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.